0: We've been talking the last, uh, in February, about um, what we call breaking points. And so today will be the final message in that series. And what a breaking point is, is it's not a moment of great faith. It's so uh, divinely appointed that we have Monica here. When I heard her story, I went, yes, that's what we've been talking about for a month. It's not moments where you say, I know, I know everything I need to know, I know all about God, I know all about myself, and I'm charging forward in great faith and great passion. Man, for those moments in life, hopefully you've experienced those, thank God for those. But those aren't breaking points. Breaking points are the moments when you say, I hope, I wonder, maybe, I think. There are moments, uh, there are crossroads where faith is shaped. Where faith is kind of put together. You and I don't have the advantage of uh, living in the past. We don't know the future. Where we live is right now. So we've called this breaking points faith in real time. Now today I just want to call this story of of Jonah reluctant faith. Uh, Those are those moments where we know the right thing to do, but we struggle with it. We struggle sometimes because we're afraid. We struggle sometimes because we don't know what the outcome will be. Sometimes we struggle because we're distracted. Sometimes we struggle because our priorities are out of order. Sometimes we even struggle because we're selfish. We struggle with those moments. We know the right thing to do, but we wonder if we have the courage. We wonder if we have the ability to do it. Now last week we saw how Paul the Apostle was living his faith out on a boat in the middle of a storm. Today we're going to zoom in on a different ship, uh, in a different storm, for a different reason. Look at Jonah chapter 1, uh, one through 1-4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. Now, God gave Jonah... I just want to set the stage for this so we can understand it. God gave Jonah one thing to do. And he chose to do the exact opposite. In fact... He couldn't have done anything more opposite than what he did. I've got a map. I want to show you the geography of uh, what Jonah chose so you can uh, kind of understand. This is Joppa where he got on a boat. This is Nineveh 550 miles away. He could have went by land 550 miles away. Instead, he said, oh, you want me to go to, to Nineveh? Okay, I think what I'll do is go down to Joppa. He was already closer than 550 miles. I'll get on a boat and I'll go 2,500 miles to Tarshish. He could not have gone further away. God told him to go to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. Now, I looked in the Jewish encyclopedia just so I could get a broader understanding of, of what this meant. Tarshish was known as a country in the most remote region of the earth. It was known by people in that day as a place where people lived who hadn't even heard of God. In fact, it was so remote that it, it was used as a cliché. In other words, um, ships that were uh, capable of making long, long, long voyages, they were, they were known as a ship of Tarshish. It was so far away, if they wanted to name a boat something because it could travel a long way, they would say, oh, that's a ship of Tarshish. It was like saying Titanic. It was a name and a category. It had its own deal. So if you wanted to say, oh, look at that boat. That's the newest. That's the latest technology. I bet that thing can sail a long way. What would you call it? That's a ship of Tarshish. It was that far away. So Jonah went as far as possible, as far as he knew he could go. He went by boat when he could have went by land. He, he didn't go to the large city that God called him to. He went to a remote place with few people. God called him to go preach, and he went where there was the fewest people to preach to on earth. He could not have gone further away. Now, this is the beginning of the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah and the whale, as we know it. So Jonah's running from God as hard as he can. A storm comes up. The storm's only there to get his attention. Uh, and so there, here we find Jonah in the middle of this boat, on his way to Tarshish, in the middle of a storm, and the storm rises on the water, and as we look at the story, we realize God has not sent this storm to kill him. God has not sent this storm to judge him. God has not sent this storm to kill the other men in the boat. God has sent this storm to get his attention. Have you ever had God do something in your life, and you look back and realize it was only to get your attention? Have you ever had one of those moments? Let me tell you about a, a similar moment to that. At 3 a.m. in the morning in Montana, it's a state trooper named Alan Nixon. He responded to a call about a car that was off the road. So when he arrived, the engine was still running and the car was stuck in the snow and the, the driver was passed out and there was a nearly empty bottle of vodka in the seat beside him. And so uh, the uh, state trooper tapped on the window with his flashlight. ta 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 And it so startled the guy that was passed out drunk behind the seat that, that when he when he jumped to he flashed in his rearview mirror and he saw the circular lights of the police behind him it, it startled him, he panicked, he threw it in drive and hit the gas take, it's just going to take off but because the car was locked into the snow it couldn't go anywhere so the officer, the state trooper standing beside the car, the windows half rolled down, he's talking to the guy and the guy lays the gas pedal down. The speedometer reads 10 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. And the state trooper having a sense of humor just starts jogging beside the car. Pull over. Pull over. I'm not going to quit running to till you till you pull over. And the guy's so disoriented he looks and he puts the brake on and he stops. It just panicked the guy. Needless to say, the man's laying in jail that night wondering how a state trooper can run 50 miles an hour. But without a doubt, the trooper got his attention. You ever had God do something just to get your attention? Just to say, I'm here? And just to communicate to you? He did to Jonah. And so here's what I want you to do. I want to give you three thoughts this morning that we gain from this story of Jonah if you got something to write with I'd like you to jot these down these come straight from his story and I think they really define our faith journey here's the first thought sometimes we struggle with our yes sometimes we struggle with it we struggle to say yes God comes he invites he asks, he challenges he encourages us sometimes we struggle with our yes sometimes we hear somebody else's testimony And we hear them say how they turn their back on God. And you can feel it in your stomach when they're telling their story. You go, no, no, don't go down that road. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. And then you hear their story of how they did it anyway. Or you hear somebody's story of how they turned to God. And inside you're saying, yes, do that. Go that way. And what that's called is that's called the clarity of hindsight. It always seems clear then, but we don't live in hindsight. We live in real time. Sometimes we say, God, I'll do anything you want me to do, just tell me what it is. I don't know about you, but I hate not knowing. I'd rather, I think anything than not knowing. But I'll tell you, there's one thing worse than not knowing. It's knowing and then not doing it. It's knowing and then, and then struggling to say yes to God. Sometimes the most difficult battle you and I face is simply saying yes. And if we're all just a little honest this morning, reluctant faith and sometimes struggling to say yes to God is all part of our faith growing up and maturing. So sometimes we struggle with our yes. Here's the second thought. God won't give up on you and I until we say yes. I mean, he followed Monica all the way to law school. He won't give up on us. He followed Jonah from Joppa all the way over here to Tarshish. God won't give up on us. God has a purpose and he has a plan and he invites us to be part of it. And from God's point of view, his invitation isn't optional. Now I've wondered, look, if Jonah's all the way over here 2,500 miles away, why didn't he just say "fooey on him? I've got thousands of people over here I could send. Forget him, I'll just pick somebody. I mean, everybody else in the world was closer to Nineveh than Jonah. Logistically, it would have been easier to send anybody else. And I wonder, why didn't God just wash his hands and say, forget it, I'll I'll send somebody else? All I can understand is, is God takes his plan to use us seriously. And he intends to do it. And he's committed to it. Now, you probably know the rest of the story. Jonah's out in the middle of of the boat in the storm. And Jonah figures out, I'm the cause of this. God's coming to get me. And so he tells the guys in the boat, I know you think you're going to die, and we are going to die if we don't do something. I'm the problem. Throw me overboard, and it'll all go away. And so he talks them into helping him commit suicide. They throw him overboard. Uh, A big whale comes and eats him. And the storm goes away, and everybody else gets away fine. And so here Jonah is in the belly of this gigantic fish, and Jonah finds his breaking point. Now, let's read that in Jonah chapter 2, 7 through 10. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, here's the key verse to me. This is, I want to tell a different story about Jonah than maybe you heard in kids' church when you were a kid, or, or maybe a different story than your perspective is of the story of Jonah. This, to me, is the key verse, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols... Turn away from God's love for them. Those who So he's in the belly of the whale. He's praying. God, those who cling to worthless idols. Those who don't say yes. Those who do what they want to do instead of what you want to do. They cling to worthless things. And they turn away from your love. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. I'm glad it's not close to lunch. Why? Here's the key thought. I, 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 if, I could, if I could take a theology, if I could take a gem, if I could take a diamond out of Scripture and I could give it to you and say, soak your soul in this. It would be this thought from the story of Jonah why won't God quit until we say yes why won't he because he loves us this is the thing that we miss in the story of Jonah I think too often the only cure for reluctant faith is the love of God the only cure for reluctant faith is a revelation of the goodness of God. God is good and He has a good plan for your life and He loves you and his, his plan's not to harm you, but it's to raise you up and strengthen you and love you and bless you and He is a good God. I guarantee you, when you resolve the issue in your soul on whether God is good or not, when you resolve the issue that God is good, then your answer to all of God's questions then becomes yes. Why, why would it not be yes? If God's good, if God loves me, if God's all powerful and all knowing and He holds, He's the Alpha and the Omega and He holds the beginning and the end in His hand, why would I not say yes to a God like that? Then we stop struggling with our yes when we understand. So this fish wasn't sent as judgment. This storm wasn't sent as judgment. It was an attention getting tactic by God where He said, Look, I could have let them throw you over and you die. That would have been judgment. I wanted to preserve you so much that I called a giant fish from the bottom of the ocean to catch you and to hold you until you understood that I love you. And it was the love of God that turned Jonah's no into a yes. Now here's the last thought. Our yes does more than we can imagine. As we see, Jonah finally said yes, he made that trip to Nineveh, he, he went to Nineveh and he told everybody what God told him to say, and by the way, the Bible tells us that Nineveh uh, had a phenomenal revival where, where the, in the words of scripture, the entire city turned to Jesus, turned to God. Now, I don't know if you understand what that would mean. This isn't a small town. This isn't Alabaster or Pelham. This is a gigantic metro. This is the capital city of the most powerful nation on earth. This is New York City, or, or this is Tokyo, or this is Mexico City. This is one of the greatest metropolises on earth, turns to God. The whole city turns to God, and it all started from one small, tiny, little word. And the word was yes. It came from a man (laughs) who became convinced that God was good. And his no became a yes. When uh, my wife and I and our family lived in the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, uh, our church was two miles from where Hurricane Katrina struck and did... Uh, unbelievable damage. I, I saw just last week they were running one of these uh, episodes on the ten worst hurricanes of all time. And Katrina was, the far, was number one. And we were right there in the middle of all that. And uh, our church became a massive distribution center. Uh, we had, uh, we unloaded over a hundred trucks, uh, tractor trailer trucks, uh, of supplies on our parking lot and distributed them to our city. Uh, 55,000 cars, like, like twice the population of the city of Alabaster, drove through our uh, parking lot in a matter of months, and we distributed to them food and water and supplies and medicine and clothing and all of this. We had enough pallets of water. I don't say not bottles. We had enough pallets of water that we made out of them with a forklift and pallets of water a maze that you could drive cars through on our property. Pallets of water, gigantic. We used to say that if, you know, somehow they were to burst, we'd have another tidal wave come in. I mean, it was everywhere. At the peak, we fed over 200 workers three meals a day, and we housed them on our property. We cleared debris, we helped get people's life back together, we rebuilt parks, we rebuilt houses, we had a medical clinic in our church. You know, you know you're doing something different when one of your Sunday school classrooms becomes a pharmacy. I mean, as a whole, something something has changed. And so that's what we had, Uh, and we actually had an entire medical team that lived there on the campus in RVs. We treated 10,000 patients uh, on our property uh, who would chainsaw, brown recluse bites, broken limbs, name it, it came through there. Uh, we had one guy that our medical team hired to work 40 hours a week and just keep the pharmaceuticals organized. That was his job. That's all he did all day. And uh, at peak, we had somewhere around $2 million worth of pharma no narcotics. And that's what the expensive drugs are. Upwards toward $2 million worth of pharmaceuticals there on our property. So Thanksgiving rolls around. We feed 17. Some of you guys came down and helped us for that. Thank you, by the way. 1,700 people we fed Thanksgiving lunch. All right. So the the surge of this has started to back down a little bit. And 13 pastors from 13 different churches, different denominations, they came down to see the work that was going on and to help serve and they wanted a meeting with me. So I met with them one night in our sanctuary. And uh, they, so they asked me. They say, look, we all have a good relationship with each other among our churches. Tell us, because we want to know what we would do if something like this happened in our city. Tell us what you did to, to make all this happen. Tell us how you did this. And to be honest with you, working seven days a week, you know, dawn till dark, Uh, late to late 30 I had never stopped to think how did we do this it never the question had never crossed my mind I didn't know the answer and so as I sort of searched my soul for a few minutes I was trying to figure out what what phenomenal leadership principle what incredible insightful thing can I tell these guys what what revelation of God can I say that will you know wow shazam And when I became honest with my own soul, I had to just simply give them the only answer that there was. And I said, you know, I don't really know. I think that the way that all this happened is, is I just never said no. I really don't have a great thing to give you. I just didn't say no. We just said yes. And from one little guy's yes, who doesn't even know a whole lot, tens of thousands of people were ministered to and touched and blessed and came to faith. And we had people who came to faith through that. There's a guy that serves on the board there now who was completely his whole family out of church, came to faith in God, uh, grew, discipled, served. Another family like his that was connected. I could tell you stories as long as you got time of things God did And I really don't have any great thing to associate it with. And it made me kind of realize, it's very humbling to realize, God really doesn't need a lot from us. What He really needs is a yes. That's what He needs. He doesn't need genius. He doesn't need smarts. He doesn't need, uh, you know, the big things we think He needs. He just needs yes. God, I'll do what you want me to do. So, this morning, I, I, I want to kind of wrap up like this. There are all kind of people here this morning. There's a big variety. And in second service, there'll be a big variety of people. Here's the, here's the most important thing to me today. What is God doing to get your attention? And what is He asking you to do that you're struggling to say yes about? It, it, maybe, maybe you don't read your Bible or pray. And you can, the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to come closer to me. And you're struggling. Maybe it's time for you, maybe you're kind of new or you just sort of come here, you don't know many people. Maybe it's time for you to get connected. Man, we've got a whole classroom of people are going to meet next service in one oh one and and just to learn about how do we get connected inside the church. And maybe that's you. Maybe it's time to find a group to join and to be a part of. Maybe it's time to serve. You know, maybe it's time for you to focus on some inner healing and maybe it's time maybe what God's saying to you is it's time for you to forgive. And let some things go. And and, uh, maybe it's time for you to reach out. Share your faith with that person that you work with or that family member or that friend. Maybe it's time for you to go on a missions trip. Maybe you've been resisting that. You know, uh, sort of maybe like Monica. You're kind of doing your path, but God keeps drawing you back another way. Maybe it's time for you to seek the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't know what it is, but I'm saying when you become convinced that God is good, your yes is going to get a lot easier. Because you know God doesn't want to hurt you. So here's, here's how our church is going to say yes. We're going to Honduras uh, in a few months. And uh, we are going to uh, work with a dynamic local church there. I'm, I, I really struggled this morning to decide what not to tell you. Because there's so many incredible things to tell you. That church has planted 15 churches. They have a daycare. They have a school with 600 people involved. They have a medical and a dental clinic. In 2001, they bought a 120-acre spot of land, and they have a men's Teen Challenge Center with 100 men. Teen Challenge is just a, um, a rehabilitation program, a Christ-centered rehabilitation program. They have 100 men there. They have an orphanage with about 40-something kids uh, there uh, on the property. And so what we're going to do uh, with our team is we're going to go and build some classrooms for the men's Teen Challenge because they're just overran. They don't have enough space. We're going to go to the orphanage and build a tabernacle so that the kids will have a place to meet. Uh, Everybody can come. They can do worship. They can do a lot of things in that space. So we're going to go and do that. That's what we feel like God wants us to do. Now here's what I want you to know about this part. And this is the part that Jonah had to come to. This is the part we have to come to. The truth is what I want uh, is irrelevant. And the truth is what you want is irrelevant. Really what really matters is what does God want? And the question I want to ask you this morning is, does God want us to go to Honduras and do this work? Does God want us to take these 14 people on and, and to support 100 missionaries? And if he does, our answer needs to be yes. And it doesn't need to be yes because, ooh, if you say no, God's going to get you. No, no, no. No, 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 no. It's not about guilt. It's not about judgment. It's not about fear. It's about this. God's good. God's good. And God loves you, and He's been good to you, and He's been good to me, and He's blessed me, and I have peace in my heart today, and I'm in right standing with Him, and I've been forgiven for my sins. And no, it's because God's good. That's why we should say yes. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do that. Um, Today, we need to say yes to what God wants us to do because He's good. Today, we are going to receive an offering to buy the materials to build the tabernacle and to build the classrooms that's what we're going to do now here's how that's going to work we need today and we need before we go seventeen thousand dollars to build both of those buildings that will cover the entire thing now here's what i want to do this morning is i want to just quickly introduce you to some people who've already said yes uh... i want to ask um... Uh, larry walker if you'll come and join me here and I want to ask our ushers if you have offering envelopes. Um, if, you, if you say, I want to say yes today, and I want to give you know, a cash offering. Come on up, Larry. I want to give a cash offering to support uh, this mission's work. Then, um, I'm, then just wave at one of our ushers as they pass you. In a couple minutes, we're going to receive an offering. And everything you give in this offering is going to go to Honduras. Now, I just want to introduce Larry Walker to you. Some of you know Larry. Larry and Sherry Walker have a deep connection to Honduras and uh, Larry and Sherry Walker um, have served in Honduras in a project called Challenge 100 and I first met Larry in Honduras I I think the first time I met him he was on the roof of a church hammering a nail and uh, Larry uh, and his wife felt a passion in Honduras there was an evangelistic team that went across the nation planting churches. Now, that's very different than it happens here. A church plant might be a group of people that meet under a tree. They might meet in a porch. They might meet in a house. Uh, and, and not a house like we would think of a house. And so Larry, he had, uh, he's a sort of a um, person that wondered, why has God called me to be a missionary? I'm not the un- upfront speaker person. But he had a degree in engineering from Auburn and his dad was in construction and he knew how to build and and he and his wife came in the point. Where they said, This is what God made us for, to build these churches. So he he heard God say to him, I want you to build a hundred churches in Honduras. So he went behind that team and with help from churches in America and built churches. Kingwood paid for the first church. We went back in 09 and built the 51st church. And how many churches are there now built? 93. 93 churches are built in Honduras because of because of him. Now, Larry Walker just took what he had and said yes. I asked all the kids from our kids church to come up here cuz I don't know if you know this or not, but these guys have been giving in the offering and raising money to support this mission's trip to Honduras. And they've raised $229.35, and here's what it's going for. They're going to buy school supplies, and when we go to Honduras, we're going to be able to give the kids and the orphanage school supplies from our kids to theirs because they just said yes. Isn't that cool? Really neat thing. Here's their offering. in a, a basketball. Another group of people in the room said yes. I know you've heard me say this, and some of you are going to say he's lying, he keeps making this up, it can't be true every time he says it. I'm telling you, I checked with Clark, who can count, because I can't count, and I'm telling you it's true. We're taking the largest missions team in the history of Kingwood Church to Honduras. Last summer, I said that to you because it was true, when we served in the orphanage in Arkansas we took 49 this summer we're going to take 50 to Honduras in the largest missions team that Kingwood Church has ever sent anywhere on earth and we're going to go 50 people then have also said yes and now uh, Monica would you come and kind of join this little group here and Jose where are you at Jose where's Jose I want to ask Jose to come too. Monica's going to Vienna. It's just a simple yes. And this is Jose. Where, where's a, uh, a microphone? Uh, ho, come here, Jose. Jose, uh, I asked him to come for a couple reasons. Jose is uh, from Honduras. This is his uh, home, home country. And Jose has come here to America, and he's found a real place of connection in our Hispanic ministry. I remember uh, our first newcomer's lunch, I remember I sat, me and my wife sat with you and your wife and a a few other couples, and I remember the day we met a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And so Jose has found a real place here, and it was his joy to go back to Honduras, his home country, and to serve on this team. So in a minute, I'm going to ask Jose to pray. He's going to pray in Spanish, and we're going to ask him to pray for this offering and to bless uh, and to do everything that we... Uh, need to get done. Now, here's what I want to ask you today. 25 times 25 gives us 100 missionaries. $17,000. Uh, uh, now, I forgot to mention, our teenagers have also been raising money for this trip. They've already raised over $1,000. And so, our teenagers have done that. Would you give all our teenagers in the room a great big hand? That's a big deal. so you can tell we've gone we've gone all out 25 times 25 gives us 100 missionaries $17,000 builds classrooms at the 120 acre men's uh, teen challenge center and then you will provide a tabernacle for orphans who can meet and worship share and their life will be blessed so uh, I'm going to ask our ushers to come this morning if you would now take your faith promise card and your offering, if you're making out a check, make it out to Kingwood Church and just put Honduras. Um, your faith promise card, put it in, in the offering here. You've already got an offering envelope for giving by cash. Maybe this morning you say, I, you know, I didn't know we were going to do this and I want to give, but I don't have a way. Uh, the giving kiosk in the foyer is ready. Uh, you can navigate easily uh, credit card or debit card. Also, you can go on your smartphone, kingwoodchurch.com. You can go to the give button. And it'll show you there uh, where you might, uh, how you might give to the Honduras project. Uh, You can give as a guest. You can give as a person who's never used the software. You've used it before. It doesn't matter. It'll be easy for you to navigate. Um, I want us to pray this morning. And would you, Larry? Would you come over? A man who's helped build a, a a hundred churches. Would you come, Jose? Would you guys just stand here, Monica? This is quite a missions team. I dare say these three people would never have even met under any other circumstance. But this morning, as Jose prays, uh, would you just pray with us and let's let the Lord do what He wants to do through us? Go ahead, Jose. Señor Jesús, en esta mañana, Padre, en esta iglesia, Padre, enfrente de Ti, Señor Jesús, venimos con un mismo sentir, Señor, a que nos ayudes, a que esta viaje misionero, Padre Santo, se cumpla Tu propósito, Señor Jesús, de Del plan divino que tú tienes, Padre Santo, que que ese viaje misionero, Señor Jesús, sea de bien para todos, Padre Santo allá y ayudar a mucha gente allá, Señor Jesús. También ayúdanos, Padre, a que este viaje misionero sea excelente, que guíe a los pastores, Padre, para poder eh, cumplir tu plan perfecto y divino, Señor Jesús. En el nombre de Jesús, amén. Amen. God bless you this morning.